0: I'm super excited to go through. We're going to be talking about Bolt 12, which is, for me personally, incredibly exciting. We're going to be talking about runes and then also routing trade offs, reliability, privacy, affordability, and potential pathfinding algorithms or optimizations, I should say, like trampoline and rendezvous, and honestly, anything else that we want to talk about in between. Commando. I see, I don't even know what that is. What is Commando? We'll get to that. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. My goal here is just to have a free-flowing conversation. I I really appreciate everyone joining. As I said, let's just dive in. I think one thing that would be useful is, Rusty, I I suspect that not everyone knows how epic your story is and the things that you've accomplished. Can you give us like a brief summary of how you saved the planet Earth and what that entailed?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. That's definitely the narrative that my life fits. So I'm just a coder. I generally work behind the scenes. I work on tools that other people do things with. I was the first person to implement a uh, version of the Lightning Network based on the paper. And I chaired the spec process, right? So the process by which we all come together and agree on you know how things are going to interoperate and everything else. That was a lot of work. So now the chair rotates, which is much nicer. I've been in free software for 20 years. I was a Linux kernel hacker before I switched to working on Bitcoin because it was I had that whole change the world, kind of nobody thought it would work vibe to it. And uh, yeah, and so I started working on the Lightning Network. I went to Blockstream. I was going to like hack on Bitcoin with all the cool kids. And uh, Greg Maxwell, who was CTO at the time, said to me, Hey, you should actually implement the Lightning Network instead. So That's my background. Oh, okay. That sounds cool. Because the paper had dropped, but nobody had planned to implement it. It was like, this thing has to exist, clearly. Yeah, that was six years ago. And so here we
0: are. Very humble, very modest.
1: I, I love it. I love it.
0: Matt, Victor, would you add anything to Rusty's very modest description of himself?
2: I think he gave a pretty good summary of things. I'm just, so eager to hop into the topic. I think before we dive into Bolt 12, I think it'd be useful to give a high level overview of Bolt 11 as well as how the noise XK protocol works. I love it. Wow. Let's do that. Okay.
1: Let's go straight to that then. Yeah. So, should we step back and talk about Bolts? Are? Sure. So, BOLT, Bolt is a contrived acronym for a uh, basis of lightning technology. But all really early on in the lightning space, we just tried to use up every single pun involving like lightning or stuff like that. So, <laughs> The specs we use I recall, Bolts. I think it was Anthony Towns who came up with that as a contrived acronym. Bolt 1 talks about the messages we send. Bolt 2 talks about how we do HTLCs. Bolt 3 talks about et cetera, et cetera. When we get all the way up to 11, Bolt 11, it talks about the invoices, the QR codes that you see, right? So when you want to pay a lightning payment, that QR code, that's a Bolt 11 code, right? Bolt 11 defines what it looks like, and it's, it's a bec 32 string this long. It has this thing, and it starts with LN something. So... That was Bolt 11. And I came up with Bolt 11 because we needed some way of, we had all this technology. It is a way of going, Hey, send me some money now. Very simple protocol. And there were a few mistakes in Bolt 11, but that it worked. It became the standard. It's out there. Everything speaks Bolt 11.
0: What are some of the things things that you consider to be mistakes in Bolt 11?
1: Oh, okay. So most of them are technical. It's not extensible. It has a boutique format. We use Beck 32 and Beck 32 has this issue that you can extend it and not break the checksum, which was never supposed to happen and was only realized after BEC32 came out. That's why we have BEC32M now for for taproot and things like that. But we stumbled straight into that with Bolt11. Also, I thought I was being really clever because it's basically a 5-bit code. And I thought, oh, we'll use that for the underlying protocol, But it turns out that's a mess to parse. So it's, everyone's crawled over that broken glass now and everyone knows how to deal with it. But it was kind of messy. The lack of extension is pretty ugly. So with Bolt12, I went back to the drawing board and went, what would this look like if we did it again? Because there was a whole of things that we wanted to change anyway. So if you're going to make it incompatible, at least make it simple. So Bolt 12 is basically exactly the protocol that we speak over the wire. So when nodes talk to each other, they speak this thing. And Bolt 12 just takes one of those messages and just encodes it in a Bec32 style. So if you can speak Lightning, you're already halfway to speaking Bolt 12 anyway. I think this is cool. And we've gotten pretty comfortable with the protocol that we use for the Lightning over the wire. It's been pretty well developed. It's pretty mature. It's extensible. It does all these things that we like. So that makes it an easy slot in for most implementations to implement Bolt 12. But it looks very similar, right? Starts with LNO if it's an offer or LNI if it's an invoice. And then it just has a string of numbers. So it fits well in QR code, all that stuff. So I guess the exciting thing about Bolt 12 is it kind of went off a layer, right? So Bolt 11 invoices, kind they work. That's all about all you can say for them. Bolt 11 invoices, hey, send me some money and I'll give you the secret. That's basically the deal. But it's only a one shop, right? So you're not supposed to post that on Twitter and wait for someone to pay you. You're supposed to send that to your particular person that you want to pay and they'll pay it. And then if somebody else wants to pay you, you generate another one. And that's how the lightning works, right? It's this whole deal of, I will give you the secret in return for making the payment. And that's enforceable on chain. But obviously that secret is unique. And once that secret's out in the world, then if you send me money, I could just go, well, actually, I actually know that secret. I don't actually have to forward that to the person you were trying to pay. I can just take the money. So the secrets really are single use. And that's just one of the—it's not a Bolt 11 problem. It's like a, a way that we use invoices problem, the way the Lightning Network works problem. So we need a layer above that. And one way to do this is for me to go cool. Well, I'll tell you what—I'll tell you the secret in return for the the money. The problem with that is you don't have an invoice. You don't have a receipt. So you just kind to go—you're throwing money at someone, which is great for certain use cases. But as we get more serious with the Lightning Network, and you actually want receipts and proof of payment and to enter disputes and stuff like that, you're really going to want that. You're really going to want that receipt capability. So so should we, I don't know, I'm going to pause here and let people kind of ask questions. Just to bring it back real quick to
3: any listeners that might be confused. What we're talking about here is like in your lightning wallet, the QR code or the letters and numbers that are shown to you when you're taking a payment for someone. So a lot of times you'll, like during the lightning torch you saw people post that on Twitter. Those are the Bolt 11 invoices. And those are single use only. So to the average person, I I would say the biggest change here is that they're no longer single use only,
1: right? Yeah. So the deal is that basically, the offer doesn't actually contain the invoice. It just says, hey, I want to send you an invoice. And you reach through the Lightning Network and grab the real invoice. And it has a lot of stuff that the invoice has, like a description of, of who you're paying and stuff like that. But then you get the actual invoice and that's the thing you pay. And that's... It's pretty trivial, but it actually opens a huge amount of stuff if you can do that. There's already a standard out there called LNURL, which is it's a hack, but it works pretty well. And basically it just says, hey, reach out over the web, just do a normal web request and get the invoice from me here. And one of the problems with that is you've got a web server, you're supposed to, you should be using SSL, so you need a certificate for it, all those things. We want to increasingly head towards getting, use the Lightning Network that we've already got and just reach out through that. Because you're going to be using that to pay, right? So you might as well use that to actually fetch the invoice in the first place. And and then when you go, okay, so we can fetch this invoice. Now, the wallet does this for you. You don't do it manually. Just scan the QR code. Underneath it reaches out, grabs the invoice, pays it, all that stuff. So user experience is exactly the same, except now we can do better things. We can do things that people have really wanted to do, including things like recurring invoices, which is I think is is huge, but it is a big step up for wallets to handle. Now, that is basically...
0: I think this is massive. And just to reiterate what Matt said, and thanks, Matt, for jumping in. What we're talking about here will improve the usability of the Lightning Network as a payee or a payer. So it's almost like BIP47 on layer one Bitcoin, where you will be able to have a single QR code, as Matt said, that allows you to basically scan it and pay someone. I I will say, Russell, I'm super excited about the idea of the recurring payments. Some of the examples that you have on Bolt12.org blew my mind, to be honest. Pay this person every third Sunday of the fifth month. That's... <laughs> Pretty remarkable.
1: Just, I'll stop you there. We cannot do the third Sunday thing. So, I'm um, out. I'm, out. I'm not interested anymore. I, I final insurance, and I went. I went and that's too hard. So, you can't do second Sunday of the month. You could do like the third day of the month and stuff like that, and you could do every four weeks, or whatever. But you literally can't do the third Sunday because at some, <laughs> some point I had to stop. Before, go, that's just getting
0: stupid. All right, all right, um, all right. I think that's it's still you know, fucking yeah. incredible.
1: Recurring invoices. So vendors love recurring payments because the fire and forget, but they're a real hostage situation with credit cards because it's a pull technology. So they're literally, you've got to then convince them to stop pulling money out of you. Now, Lightning, you know, is a push technology, right? So your end is responsible for pushing it every month, which is a much fairer deal. I'm happy to sign up for your thing once a month, knowing that with one click, I can tell my wallet to stop it. But I can look through my wallet tab and see, hey, here's all the recurring payments. What the hell's that to get rid of it? Right. There's no go and fill out this form or apply to this person to please stop pulling money out of my account kind of crap. So I think it's a good deal for both sides. There are genuinely good reasons that you'd want to do a recurring payment as long as you're still in control. And I think that, for me, is a huge appeal.
0: How would you do recurring payments or recurring payments if you, in the existing implementation? Is that even possible?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've implemented. Okay. Let's talk about implementation for a sec. So C-Lightning has support for almost everything in, in Bolt 12, everything, all the offer stuff and everything else. So what's lagging, of course, is getting wallets to jump on board and implement all these things. So that's one of the reasons for this. I've been doing this awareness push, going here's all the cool things we can do. We've got to get wallets to come along. And the other point that I really want to emphasize is it's currently a draft. And the reason it's a draft is until you've got a few people who've implemented it and really dug into it, you don't know if you've got it right. Okay, So I want wallet authors, we we're talking to a lot of wallet authors at the moment, who are really excited about it, and they're going through and implementing all this stuff. And they may well find, hey, Rusty, why did you do it? Why did you go left here instead of right? This was stupid. Or if you only do this, it'd be so much cooler. So you do get some changes. And So we're not committing to like what it's like today. Hopefully, most of it will stay the same, but I'm sure there'll be something someone will come along. Hey, we could improve this, and let's get it in before we finalize. So we're in that stage now I've gone going through. So, so we see Lightning implements it as an experimental. You turn on the experimental offers yolo kind of option and then you you can issue offers and accept offers and everything else talking with a couple of authors spark has a very which is a front end for sea lightning there's a version out there that is truly experimental version unreleased that does understand offers you can scan an offer and pay and everything else and i'm pushing the author to get on board with doing recurrence which is the big thing it's then got to remember oh okay i'm supposed to pay another one of these in a week so i have got to wake up in a week and i've got to do that the other thing about recurrence, of course, you start thinking about recurrence and you go, hey, well, I don't actually want 100 sats a week. I want five bucks or something. So you start dealing with currency conversion and other things, because until hyper-Bitcoinization, there's going to be a currency the person wants. They're like, I want you to sponsor me for five bucks a week or whatever it is, or maybe USD, right? Uh, there's the currency the payer has. They might be one Canadian dollars, right? So you scan this thing, the offer says five USD. The invoice, of course, will really be in Bitcoin. But the user's going to approve and go, yeah, cool. I'll give you like, what is that? 650 Canadian or whatever it is. And then every time it fetches the invoice, it goes, cool, let's map that back to Canadian dollars that they've approved. Huh. That's more SATS than they've approved, or it's fine. We'll just go through. And it'll have to prompt them again. It goes, hold on, this is weird. You authorize me for $650 a month, and it looks like they're trying to get seven bucks out of you. What do you want to do? So there is some like UX issues around that, but it is absolutely something that we need. Rusty, just since we're on the topic right now, let me
3: stop you for a second. How does your implementation deal with that fiat conversion? Like,
1: where is it pulling that number from? That's a really good question. I wish there was a really good source of this. Okay, there is no secure way to map to and from fiat amounts, right? There's a whole heap of different places you can use, APIs you can use to try to get prices. We, the C-Lightning has an implementation called Currency Convert as a plugin, which reaches out to four different places to grab their rates and do a mean across them and try to figure out if there are any outliers and stuff like that. The problem is, while it's a terrible problem, and I wish there were better support for some oracles out there that I could do a mean of and everything else, in practice, all wallets are doing it anyway. There are very few wallets that don't convert. And in people's heads, they're converting it, if nothing else. They're checking a web page to do the conversion. So people are doing this. It's really hard to get around. So yeah, we're reaching out and doing a mean across a few different sources. It's really hard to tell if actually those sources are actually sourcing it from the same place anyway. So it's not clear how diverse any source of, of things is. Wouldn't, a median, of wouldn't things. a median make more sense, just in case there's some like crazy outlier there? Yeah, you do you do some outlier filtering, which is oh, so do, just, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but yeah, there's a few kind of things that walls generally do. So walls are doing this today. So, They're presenting you with a number, and you're having to trust. So. It's not great, and I'm hoping that people will dive into that and improve it. But at the end of the day, that's basically what people want. In practice, most people who want recurring payments want them in some currency. That is not Bitcoin today. You know, and presumably the wallet, again, is going to have to do its own conversion and check it. Now, perhaps eventually we'll have this standard that everyone can agree on, and that will simplify things. But for the moment, you said, go, cool, I want an invoice. The backend, the server, C Lightning, whatever, will go, cool. It's supposed to be five USD. Let's look that up. Great. Let's send that for whatever, however many sats that is. And then the wallet checks the amount it gets and goes, "Huh, that's not what I agreed to." Or that is that's within the range. I'm happy to accept. That's fine. And goes ahead and just and and pays it.
2: Hey, Rusty, can you quickly go back to what
1: extensibility means and perhaps Bolt Nine? Okay, okay. what is extensibility? Mean? Okay, <laughs> so my extensibility means that we can add things in future. Let's look at some things that that I want to add. There's a whole lot of things that you could do with this. Things naturally evolve, and you always go, "Ha, huh, it'd be cool if we could have that." As an option. So there are two kinds of ways you can upgrade. Well, no, there are three. One is you just break everyone and you go, cool. Okay, so everyone has to upgrade to this new version because we've completely broken everything and it's completely new. Don't do that. That sucks. So we try really hard not to do that. The second way to upgrade is go, cool, there's this new option. And if you don't understand it, you're not gonna be able to pay this thing anymore. That's also pretty weak, but sometimes you have to do it. So for example, we added a new extension that said, cool, this is like a one-shop clicking, like one-click shopping experience. But when you do the invoice request, you're gonna to have to send me your your mailing address because I'm gonna ship it to you. It's not really a it's not an option. You've gotta send us send me an address, otherwise I can't ship it to you. Right, so we could add a, a thing that says, cool, we must have this shipping address. And what will happen is old wallets will go, I have no idea what it's asking for option 28, and I don't know what option 28 is, right? Time to upgrade or something. There's no real way around that. If there's something new that's required, gotta go there. But in a lot of cases, there's something new if you understand this, then that's great. But if you don't, that's cool. We'll fall back to the old style of doing it. And we have a whole system inside, inside the Lightning Protocol of doing these kind of compulsory or not compulsory upgrades. And we call it, it's okay to be odd. And it means that there's a whole heap of numbered fields inside, deep inside the invoice. And if you get an odd one and you don't know what it is, that means you can ignore it. That's fine. If you see an even one and you don't know what it is, that means you're in trouble and you have to kind of stop. And it's a very simple system. And it basically just means that as we develop the spec, we can go, cool, well, here's a new feature, but it's odd. So it's not going to force anyone to upgrade if they don't want it. So extensibility is actually really important.
0: How is that decided on the specific even odd format?
1: You think really hard when you add the feature and then you decide whether to do it. Okay, so let's (laughs) get a a real example that's optional, right? Streaming invoices. This is not in the spec because it's easy to add later as we'll see. If I want to pay, like we're doing the podcast thing and I want to like pay you every 30 seconds or something.
0: I just want to jump in and say, by the way, this is something that you can do right now. Like Matt, who of course, we, we didn't give you a fair introduction, Matt, but for those of you who don't know who Matt O'Dell is, What are you doing with your life? Get your shit together. But Matt is part of Tales from the Crypt and also uh, Citadel Dispatch. And they have their podcast streaming through Breeze Wallet, through a couple other systems. And so you can literally go in and as you're listening to the podcast, you are able to, by choice, stream payments to them via the Lightning Network in real time. So that's what we're talking about right here.
1: Yeah. And this is a really cool use case, as you you can imagine, right? So it opens up a huge amount of possibilities. Now, how would you do this with offers? Because basically, every time you'd be doubling the traffic because you have an offer, which is great. This says, pay me every 30 seconds. That's fine. But then you you do a request to get the invoice, and then you pay the invoice. It'd be really great to have one offer that just has a stream of invoices, right? Now, technically, there's a way of doing that such that basically an invoice is basically make this payment and you'll get the secret. And if you, you can chain these, right? So that secret could basically be the basis for the next invoice. So you don't need to ask for the next invoice. I send you an offer. I go, cool, this is good for 100 invoices. And when you pay one, you basically get the information you need for the next one. So you don't, you just do one offer and then you can just do invoice however many times. Now that's an example of something that would be completely backward compatible. Because if you didn't understand it, you just asked for another offer. And I go, okay, you're one of those. Here you go. Here's the next invoice. Not a problem. You don't really need this, but here you go. But if someone is upgraded and they understand this feature, they go, cool. I actually can just intuit what the next invoice is going to be from the payment I've already made. So that would be an odd feature. And that's why it's not in the spec, because we can add it later.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. And backwards compatibility is super important because we really do not want to make breaking changes on any of these systems where it is possible to avoid doing so, because it creates a lot of confusion and unnecessary risk.
1: Yeah, that's right. We've tried really hard in the Lightning Network to be back as compatible as much as possible. And we have pushed upgrades through, but we've pushed them through slowly, stuff like this. And Bolt 12 is in this camp. It's like, why not just keep improving Bolt 11? And at some point you go, there are enough things that we want to do here, paying technical debt. we try to jam it all into Bolt 11. Now, since if we add a features feature to Bolt 11, everyone would have to kind of upgrade Bolt 11 anyway. It's like, well, okay. Let's go clean. Let's go for Bolt 12. But it's a big ask from all the wallet influencers. they got to step up and, and do this. And it's not trivial. If we look at the way I see the future of Wallets going, it's Wallets increasingly are going to start speaking the native Lightning Network.
0: What does that mean exactly when you say they're going to start speaking the native Lightning Network?
1: Works. Okay. So I already said that basically when you look at this Bolt 12 thing, you unwrap it. And it's pretty much exactly the same kind of message that we speak on the wire. When Lightning peers are talking to each other, kind of message they send it's exactly the same format and so okay to understand Bolt 12 in order to parse this like and figure it out you're to have taught your wallet how to speak a little bit of the lightning protocol itself and then you go well if you can do that you can also reach over the lightning network and just start And, and that kind of becomes important because remember you've got to reach out through the lightning network in order to fetch the actual invoice so we're already pushing you in that direction like it would be cool if you could just reach out and fetch the invoice your wallet could just speak start talking lightning to it, go, cool, I want to fetch this invoice, here's the onion routing and everything else, and fetches the invoice and does it that way. So we are, I think we are moving in that direction. And this is a gentle push towards getting everyone to pay, you should all connect to the lightning network as, as full-on native clients and start speaking lightning. But That requires people to actually write the code in all the different languages that people use in order to actually do that work. And that's coming along.
0: I have a lot of conversations with people who are interested in developing on the laying network. I think it's this frontier that to me feels like Bitcoin four to five years ago. It's a wild west and there's so much possibility and we're discovering it as a group, as a collective, as a community, but uh, yep. I'm excited to see what happens. So,
1: yeah. So along these lines, and it was this kind of thinking that led to commando, which was mentioned before, and this is really nothing to do with offers, wait, wait. but it is- Yeah. Uh, what,
0: what is commando? I'm Terribly embarrassed to admit, I do not know what commando is. Vivek no, no, no. responded to a, a tweet that I sent, which was you giving me a tattoo of a Bolt 12 offer and I created, I was disappointed to send this out, Russell, because after looking into it a little bit more on Bolt12.org, which you created, you specifically say that no one should get, it's the only bold text on on the website. It says people should not get an offer tattoo, but you gave me that tattoo and I I hold you accountable for that. So can you justify the tattoo you gave me and also explain what that means?
1: So the tattoo, the reason the tattoo is is, is a bad idea, by the way, is because the spec is yet to be ratified, right? As I said before, this is the stage where people dive in and like, they look at it. They really start implementing it. And that's the only... They get their hands dirty with it. They use it, start using it in practice and go, ah, oh, okay, let's fix this. So we're still in that reckless phase. So it could well be that somebody comes up with a great change. We go, yeah, cool. Yeah. No, that's got to be in. And then your tattoo doesn't work anymore because actually the specs moved. So do not get the QR code of an offer to pay you money tattooed on yourself. Yeah, because the fix up is just going to be messy. And so that's the whole tattoo joke on the bolt12.org website saying, don't do this. We got diverted a bit. Yeah, Commando. So this, this idea, hey, hold on. What if, what if everyone speaks the native Lightning Network? Yeah, cool. So, so see Lightning, I wrote this plugin called Commando. And it basically, you take custom Lightning messages and it just you can authorize a peer and say, cool, when this peer sends me a message, just do what it says and just return the result. So this means that I can take one Lightning peer that anyone on the Lightning Network, and authorize them to run my node for me, basically. Just drive it, right? Now that's pretty friggin' reckless, but I can also restrict what commands they can do. So the first version of Commando just had a read-on. You can just list stuff, but you can't actually control my node. And the latest version has got support for runes, which are basically a simplified version of Macaroons in LND, which basically think of it as a cookie. I can go, here's a cookie that will let your node, you, you can read my logs or you can list a couple of things. You can do a few commands, but that's it. That's all this will authorize you to do. So I can hand those things out. <sighs> cool, here you go. This will let your node connect or list my funds or whatever it is that I want you to do.
0: Yeah, and this um, is super important because in, in LD, at least, we have macaroons. And basically, the idea is that basically you want to be able to give an application or a person or a system the permissions that it specifically requires. And nothing more than that. And yeah, I'd be curious, can you articulate the difference between runes versus macaroons and and how that kind of plays out and how you think about that?
1: Yeah, so macaroons came out of a Google paper that described this kind of clever technique for basically, so you could do this kind of thing with just a cookie, right? Give me a cookie, maybe a cookie, please, Lnd or or C Lightning, whatever, commando, to let somebody do these three commands only. And you could do it that way. The cool thing about macaroons and that, that runes does as well is that, I can actually go, cool, give me a cookie. And then I can just tack on some extra restrictions. Go, cool, oh, but this one can only do this. And then I can hand it off to someone else. So I can actually create sub cookies in a way that you can't undo it. So if I add a restriction that says, no, 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 no. This cookie will only work for the next one hour. And I give you that cookie with the extra restriction on it. You can't pull the restriction off. So that's kind of cute. In practice, most people just take the cookie they're given and they use it. So it is technologically, it's really, it, it's a really cool feature to have. Actually, I'm not sure how many people are going to be like minting these things off and handing them off to other people and stuff. But it is is a cute technique. The way they do it in the Google paper involves a couple of HMACs and things like this. And it's actually way more complicated than they need. There is a simplified way that you can implement this using what's called a length extension attack against SHA. It's in the readme on the runes GitHub But basically, there is a simpler way to doing it than the way that they did it. They missed a trick. So I thought somebody has to implement that. So I've implemented this. But again, most people don't care. They're just going to take this magic cookie that they get granted and hand it back when they want to make commands. So the actual format of it and how it works underneath is a little bit really deep geek. And the fact that you have the capability is really important that I can hand out some limited amount of permissions. But the mechanism by which it's done is only of interest to probably a handful of people in the world.
0: Wait, really? I don't know. I have a different take. I think I've definitely, we got PlebNet going and we basically, which is to say this like giant community of people who are, we all got excited about Lightning and we were like, how can we learn together? And my experience so far has been that Lightning has been people are disincentivized to share the specific learnings that they have had on the Lightning Network and what it takes to run an effective Lightning node or routing node. And one of the experiments that I had participated in multiple different sort of rounds is trying to create a kind of decentralized super node, which is to say where you have multiple people who are running their own routing nodes with their own liquidity, setting fees super low, and then basically allowing payments to be routed through them in tandem and then aggregating all of the profits, so to speak, on a monthly or a weekly basis. So to me, like macaroons and runes are are a super interesting evolution of that. I love the idea that people could basically connect their nodes up in a way that would not fuck up their security, but would allow them to create these sort of super entities that could exist in the lightning network.
1: Yeah, that is cool. But when you think about it, that, doesn't require third party mods. to Like the case where I give you a cookie and then you want to add restrictions to give to someone else is starting to get a bit obscure. Most cases, I'll give you a cookie that has everything you need, that only lets you do a couple of things I'll hand it straight to you. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's so fair. this ability to add to other people's cookies, restrictions to other people's cookies and add on, is technically cool. I don't think it's actually, I'm struggling to think of a great use case where, yeah, that's totally the way we're going to use this. So, yeah, yeah look, controlling so other people's nodes is interesting. And, and then you start thinking a lot harder about, so what command should I actually let you, if I give you access to my logs, is there stuff in my logs, for example, that, I don't want you to see. Because that you're going to be able to leverage that in order to find out other secrets that may appear in my logs. So there's a whole thought process around how you actually share this safely. like what you to let other people do.
0: And just for the audience, can you reiterate the difference between macaroons and runes? Just like in a couple yeah, so they're,
1: they're basically, a, runes are simpler than macaroons, but they give you basically the same functionality. And even if we'd use macaroons and sea lightning, because sea lightning is different from LND, you already wouldn't have compatibility because somebody needs to give you one. And sea lightning would give you one and it would be different than the way L&D would give you one anyway. So they'll look different anyway. The, you only care if you're trying to manipulate it. You're trying to add a restriction. Then you have to know, oh, is this a rune or a macro rune? Normally, it's just a string that you're given this thing and you give it back in order to do something. So at the low level, it's simpler and it's got a couple of neat tricks in it. But from a high level or use level, it's the same thing. Got it. So do you see uh, any potential use cases with remote
2: wallets, NFC type ideas come to mind for me. I think there's... A couple of things that are really cool. I remember even Pierre Rochard's original Power Node Launcher, or whatever, was using the macarons in LD. Just curious now that what are the potential use cases
1: for these? Don't mean to sound bullish or bearish or whatever, but I, I think there's something there. <laughs> yeah, what I really want so there's a front end for Sea Lightning's been around for a long time called Spark, and it does what, I mean, naively, you would expect it to do, which is it reaches into a web connection to control your node, but Oh, my God, that is a crap load of hoops to jump through, right? In order to get a secure web connection, you need to have a certificate. In order to get Let's Encrypt, you have to have a whole heap of setup. And in order to get the certificate in the first place and stuff like that, and this is what kind of made me think, if we could just reach through the Lightning Network to control my node, that would be way, way easier. So in this case, in fact, in the, the latest documentation for Commando, is basically, <laughs> here is how you basically create a rune that will let somebody else create a rune that lets them control your node from then on. So you put this thing in a QR code, you'd scan it with Spark. It has 60 <laughs> seconds to connect to your node, introduce itself and say, cool, here, I use that rune to mint myself a new rune. And from now on, will it will let me control your node. That's it. Now that means it has to be able to reach over the Lightning Network and speak native Lightning protocol. But as I've said, I already think we're going that way. In fact, there's another cute hack, which I added to C-Lightning, which lets it speak WebSocket. So it's actually really hard for an in-browser app to reach over the network and speak like really low-level stuff. I tend to speak like web protocols. But there is a web protocol called WebSocket that kind of lets you do this. And there's a PR for C-Lightning that basically, if you connect to C-Lightning and it doesn't look like you're trying to speak native Lightning, you're actually trying to speak web, it goes, oh, maybe you're trying to open a WebSocket, like forks off a little proxy. And from then on, it will speak WebSocket to you. And this means that you can then connect to the Lightning network from a browser natively. And of course, Add Commando in there, and suddenly you can have a web front end that controls your node via Commando, using runes to authorize it, all that stuff fits together. So the remaining part for that is more of the the JavaScript library so that people can easily speak like network through JavaScript, and there's some work going on that at the same time. With those pieces, I think it'll be cool to use this to control your nodes and stuff. So
3: high-level Commando is this idea that you can just scan a QR code and connect to your node
1: without anything else, right? Yeah. So, commando is yeah. I will talk lightning network, and I will let you control my node. Awesome. Can we quickly go to blinded pads? Uh,
2: I remember hearing you talk at the lightning conference. You mentioned T Base su- suggested or something like that. And yep. there's a way where I guess the sender and the receiver will be unknown versus right. like the traditional way with Noise XK, where the sender is unknown but the receiver is known. And also, I guess our hacky way currently doing it where KeySend gets around, leaving the sender also unknown.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the Lightning Network, the way it was designed was that vendors are known and people who are paying are are anonymous. And that was a good first step because you had to be able to send the payment somewhere. So they would tell you where they were, what node ID they were, but they wouldn't tell who you are. So if you're paying, they don't know who you are. So that's obviously something we want to preserve and indeed enhance with offers. So we already do this. So we send these messages through the Lightning Network and they get wrapped and then the response Inside, so the way way an onion messages work, which is kind of a precursor of stuff that you need for this to work, is you basically send this message through, everyone unwraps it, sends it to the next hop. It gets to the end, they unwrap it, and they get this reply path. Here's how to send the reply back to me. Because you don't want to tell it where you are, obviously, which would be the easiest way. So you give it this, what's called a blinded path. Like here, just shove this in, your onion, push it to the next hop, and it will know how to unwrap it and get the message back to me. So we already do that for offers today, so that you can fetch the invoice without revealing where you are, but the same technique can be used to have an anonymous vendor, right? So the offer can say, here, I'm selling you this stuff, but here's the blinded pass to send it to me. So in other words, I've made up my node ID. It's not real. Here's how you're going to have to reach me. So use exactly the same technique to actually have vendor anonymity, which is something the Lightning Network traditionally has not provided. And something that's really, I think, important for a lot of use cases. now, Especially
0: with the infrastructure bill stuff that's happening right now.
1: (laughs) So, well, so there's one thing I want to know, and that is that I have not implemented the API to put blinded paths inside offers in C-Lightning. It's still on my to-do list. So there's an issue for that. So we have not got an implementation of anonymous vendors today. But Rusty, the reason this is really, really I, important, even if you don't care,
0: oh, sorry. Because I, I have to ask, why haven't you done that yet? And more specifically, yeah, but, why do you hate America? free,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Can I answer that at the end?
0: Yes, yes. Go ahead. Please continue.
1: <laughs> but the reason this is important is, so the way things work today is if you make a, a Lightning payment, it's all good. And the vendor goes, oh, crap, something went wrong. I want to refund you. You now have to dock yourself in order to get your refund. Oh, interesting. That's shit. That's really bad. Did you want your money or did you want your anonymity? So there's actually a, a refund flow built into... Okay, so a normal invoice, right? We've talked about, cool, the normal offer says, here, fetch the invoice and then you can pay me money. But there's also what's called a send invoice offer. And that is, no, I'm trying to send you money. So instead of you sending me a request for an invoice, you literally send me an invoice and I will pay it. And in particular, that's used for refunds, right? So you go, oh, I want a refund. Here's your offer for your refund. And so then you basically... Send an invoice in now that's really important that use blinded paths so that when they send you the money they don't know where it's going they just know if it succeeded or not
0: just contrast that with what exists right now
1: what exists right now is really you go to the web page they go send me an invoice for this amount that i've agreed to refund you and they do it manually usually there's a few slightly more automated steps but at the end of the day you're doxing yourself and revealing where your node is in order for them to send you your money back i really want and to be anonymous so the. So even if you don't care about vendor anonymity, in the case of refunds, you do. Because you're the vendor at some right? You're the one they're sending the money to. And you really want your anonymity back. And regarding the refunds, I guess this is where the payer proofs and the uh, Merkle trees would come in? That's right. So it is actually, in Vault 12, when you go, cool, give me the invoice, you actually tell them a key to put in. This is my payer key, right? This is my like, temporary ID that I'm going to use for this. And that gets included in the invoice. And the invoice is cool, and here's your payer key. Now, since you control that key instead of the originally, when you asked for the invoice, you can prove that you were the one who had the invoice minted, right? You're like, oh, that was me. Cause I've got this key. I can create a signature of stuff. I can prove that it was me. We already have payment proof. So I can already prove here, look at this invoice. I can prove, cause I have the secret that it promises. I can prove it's been paid. What I can't do is prove that for all I tweeted out, cool, here, I paid this. And so everyone knows the secret. Whereas with this, cool, I know everyone knows the secret. So everyone can see that it's paid, but only I have the payer key. So I can prove that I was the one who paid it. Or importantly, I was the one who requested the invoice in the first place. So it was done on my behalf. And so that's what we leverage for refunds. Yeah, cool. Just sign this thing with your payer key and I will send you money, right? So when you send them the invoice to pay, you actually sign it with that payer key that you did in the original invoice. So they know that they're giving a refund to the person who actually was the one who paid it in the first place. And that's critical. Now, you also mentioned Myrtle trees and stuff. So what if I was saying, like, never takes off and we're all paying stuff? You will get into a dispute with the merchant one day. You'll be like, I sent you the money. You never sent me the goods. And they'll be like, no, you never, we never received your money or whatever. You want to be able to prove that. And you can prove this today. You can post the Bolt 11 invoice and you can post the secret that you got back. And you can prove that a Bolt 11 invoice was that people can look at that and they're cool. Yep, it is signed by that node. We presumably know that node is associated with big corp, or whatever. And you've proven that you've paid it. So yeah, they owe you your stuff. we have got some kind of grounds for dispute. Now, the problem with that is that You can only do it by revealing the entire invoice, which may contain information, especially as it gets more enhanced. We talked about like delivery address and stuff like that. You may not want to include that in your proof. The problem is the way Bolt 11 works, it signs the whole thing. So in order for you to check the signature, you need all the pieces. Again, that's something we fixed with Bolt 12. So it uses this kind of Merkle tree. So I can actually cleverly omit pieces and only show you the pieces you need to know. Yeah, this is the node ID. This is, this is the payment a payment hash that they promised and stuff like that. And maybe a few other fields that I choose. And you can still check the signature and check it's valid, but you can't tell what the other things that I haven't shown you are. And I think that's pretty important. For example, especially important, I can show you the payer key so I can prove that, yes, it was me who did this payment. So, again, I have to caveat this is that I have not implemented the protocol to encapsulate the proofs in a compact way. It's actually not entirely, but that's another to-do. So, yeah, that was designed from day one. So we can do something
0: with that. I love it. Matt, you have any thoughts, directions you'd like to take this specific conversation? There's just so much information poured into my, my brain right now. I'm curious if you have any thoughts.
3: Or You're, you're getting a little bit overwhelmed, right?
0: Overwhelmed is... I wouldn't <laughs> say overwhelmed. I would say... I'm like a goose that's being uh, prepared for my, I'm being like force fed grain (laughs) with a funnel and it's amazing. I enjoy this deeply, but I'm also... I
3: think the cool thing is once we get this implemented, most people will never have to know any of this is happening. So it's okay to be a little bit overwhelmed. I would admit that I am a little bit overwhelmed because Rusty goes real deep uh, and he's really good at going deep. With respect to blinded paths that he was talking about earlier, he said vendor privacy. And what does that mean for the average person? What that means to the average person is right now, if you go to someone's BTC pay server, or if they post an invoice on Twitter, you can decode that invoice. And that invoice gives a bunch of different information about the receiver. And one of the key things it gives you is this public key, which is a fire of your node. It is how your node is recognized on the network. With that public key, You can see the IP address if it's not running through Tor, so you can see where the server's located. Most non-professional users are going through Tor, fortunately, so you can't see the IP address in that situation. And you can also see the public channel capacity. So if you have any public channels open, someone can use any invoice you give them to see exactly how much, or they can get a general idea of how much Bitcoin you have locked into the Lightning Network in public channels. And then I guess if they're a more advanced attacker, they can then probe your channels to try and figure out exactly how much you have on the lightning network. So this becomes a massive privacy issue for anyone receiving on the lightning network, especially your average user who might not be aware of, of that pitfall. And this blinded paths in bolt 12 fixes that and is absolutely
1: massive in terms of receiver privacy on lightning. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about vendors, we normally think of big corp of shipping stuff, whatever, and they don't care. They actually want you to know all their incoming capacity and everything else so you can route to them better and get more stuff. When I pay for pizza and I want you to pay me back, I don't really need to leak my node ID. And the thing is, Blinded Path could well lead to a public. It doesn't mean that it's actually private. It's just that I gave you a Blinded Path and you'll never know if it's actually my public node or not. So this is much more powerful. Now... One of the caveats that we always need to mention with the Lightning Network is that the onions, we have this blending system, you can go through these onions, but until the network's really big, if there's only five nodes on the network, you're not providing actually any much anonymity in that case at all. As the network gets bigger, it does get more effective, but you're still constrained to what paths there are through the network. It's getting better, but a really advanced attacker can still glean a reasonable amount of information, particularly if you choose naive paths. There's, there's going to be a bit of an for obscuring these things, and I look forward to that because there's going to be a lot of Cool stuff. Blinding Paths are actually longer than they need to be. So, Ops and Blinding Paths, but actually I'm only using three of them and I'm just throwing away the rest. You don't know that. So there's a whole arms race to go
4: with Blinding Path Anonymity and stuff as well. All right, Bitcoiners. I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledden up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender, y'all. I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into lead in interest accounts. And you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean- I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners, and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the Letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no-fluff hard-hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on-chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative, and what's happening with the tech. My man Dylan McClare is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout-outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right, and him and his team are bringing you Everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com, sign up today. And if you use promo code Macro, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Uh, Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code MACRO. Do it today.
2: Hey, I see Renee in the audience. Any chance we could bring him up? I'd love to get into pathfinding. That. I know,
0: I know. I invited him up. I think he's, he's in a different time zone, as are you, Russell. So I'm not sure if he can join us right now, but I definitely have sent him an invite. And Renee, gotcha. if you're listening, we would love to have you up here.
3: I have an interesting question from Chaz of Lightning Junkies. Hey, Believe he's in the audience. For Rusty, if L&D doesn't exactly, will offers still work? Is there a contingency plan there if LND doesn't add support?
1: Yeah, it turns out you don't actually need very much from a node to support offers, right? Uh, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about here. So normally an offer says, "Yeah, cool, pay me," but we could add an extension that says, "Actually, pay this node over here." So if LND didn't speak offers, then what you could do is you could have a different node that did, that would just redirect all your payments to your LD node. That's probably the simplest way of doing it. Other ways include basically having Uthiega actually produced a, has a pull request out now for LND, which basically allows it to send and receive custom messages, which means you could use that to create a plugin for LND that spoke spoke for bits of the protocol that you needed to mint offers and everything else. It's not ideal, but that would certainly be another way of doing it. In the experimental stage, while we're still playing with this stuff, it's not quite so important. So it's worth, worth commenting that the way I've done offers is a bit unusual. Usually the way that I would work with something like this is I implement it, we have this rule in the spec that you need two interoperable implementations before it goes in the spec. So normally someone gets excited about some feature, they spec it up, they implement it, they get one of the other lightning authors to also go through the pain of implementing it. When they both implemented it and tested that they work together and that all the pieces seem to work, then it goes, right, cool. Now it's a candidate to be finalized, nailed in the spec, merged, and it's right. That's it's now a formal standard. Everyone should go out and actually implement it. And that that stage of having the second person come along and really go through it is really important because we do get amazingly good feedback. Almost every feature that's been in Lightning has gone through this way, and it's been great to have a second pair of eyes go over experienced people who are implementing it going hold on let's fix this let's tweak this is more complicated than it needs to be or this is this almost enables this new technology if we only just tweak it this way we can do this extra cool stuff and all that so that's the normal way of doing it I'm really low key about new features because you you know again the whole problem of it's reckless like it it may break we reserve the right to change things if we come up with something better during this process it means that I've been reluctant to go to end users but The problem is we hit a deadlock with the offer stuff with Vault 12. It's a big job. And most of it is in the hands, at least half of it in the hands of the wallet authors. And they're busy doing a whole lot of other cool stuff. And really weren't in a position to follow everything along. Cool, yeah. What we really want to do now is rewrite everything in order to support offers, right? So there needed to be some push out there to get awareness in the, the broader community so that people actually started experimenting with with it so we could get feedback. So hence bolt 12org and I've been talking about a lot more. But offers originally was something that was at the Lightning Conf back in the day, and that was my presentation there. I finally got off my ass and finally wrote the spec September last year. So it's been sitting there a while, and I think... I have failed to convey to people all the cool stuff because there wasn't like a user experience that I could point out and go, here's a video of someone using an offer. You go, oh, that's really cool. So this was stepping up to the next stage. So it is a bit unusual to do it this way, but.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's so important. I I talk about this constantly, but myself like a bunch of other people got together and like we created this community that was called Plebnet which yeah. currently i think we're about you know 3 to 4% of the entire lightning network of just like focusing on onboarding people really explaining to them like how amazing lightning is and all the things that you can do on it because so few people understand exactly just how amazing it is like <laughs> yeah. i was recently in a in a room with some bsv shells and they were like, yeah, we can send payments instantly. And it was like, oh, really? How does that work? And they were like, it does require zero confirmations. And we were like, are you are you fucking kidding me right now? What, what are we even talking about? So having those experiences, having people feel like they can connect their own kind of lived experience to that is so important. And I think Bolt 12 is something that I am just really sinking my teeth into and, and getting a sense for. I'm, I'm super excited about it. And I think creating those kinds of videos, those kinds of guides, people understanding like why it's so significant is really valuable.
1: Yeah. And I think, so, so my original plan was like, cool, I'll just get someone author to implement this. I'll put the spec out there. Someone will implement it and we'll go. So, okay. Obviously we need a bit more of a push because it takes a special kind of person to read a spec and in their mind's eye see the possibilities because that's a very technical document that says nothing about how the users will use it and everything else. That's just assumed. Turns out that's a pretty rare. You have to already be really deep in the Lightning Network to read something like Bolt 12 and go, Ah, oh, cool. I see how that works. Yeah. And then this is the story of the Lightning Network, right? When we first created it, it's like we saw it was cool. There was a core group of people who really saw the possibilities. But for most people, it was really hard to even... We shied away from explaining it to some extent because you're like, you don't want to be seen as this crazy in an industry full of hype. It was usually better to deliver something, put it in front of people, have them go, wow, that's amazing, to try to describe it to them up front.
0: No, I, I totally identify with that. It, it's been, <laughs> I feel like I'm in this magical situation where it's like I get to basically learn this stuff along with everyone else and then get really excited about it. And for whatever reason, my own eccentricities or whatever are are interesting to people. And so I get to learn along with everybody else. But it is a weird thing. There was that there was the idea of hashtag reckless, which I certainly identify yeah. with. And I think really making sure to find the balance between encouraging people to embrace this new technology and also understanding the risks that are involved. It's interesting. And I will say it's so funny comparing it to all of the quote unquote DeFi bullshit that's happening out there. And if you go and you fucking try to buy safe moon tokens, like you go onto their website, their white paper is a fucking joke. And then also it's, oh, you have to be facing east. And And also holding your left arm in your right hand. And then you have to use PancakeSwap to move this and that. And it's just, it is, it's so convoluted. Whereas the Lightning Network to me is so much more robust, so much more sound. It's built on top of this layer one technology that we all understand and value and has just an incredible brain trust of people that are validating it in the sense that they're reviewing the code and making sure that it's not, there's nothing fucked up about it. And yeah. just nothing else has that.
1: Yeah. Oh, the other thing is, remember, this has been six years from lightning, right? This has been a slow burn, trying to get everything right get all the fundamentals. And then UX, so people going on top. And when we got to that point where it was usable for geeks, the real action started happening above that, making it more usable. Things that I never would have imagined. We talk about Strike, for example. It's like not something that I had conceived of in any way early on. And it's cool to see people basically taking the stuff that we've done and basically launching it to the moon. It's amazing stuff. But yeah, I agree with you. There's that in an industry so full of bullshit, tend to really try never to talk about stuff that has not actually shipped already, which makes the offers thing really weird because I'm in a situation where I'm talking about stuff and i'm promising this stuff and i've got most of the parts i can't point you at a wallet today that supports office natively does recurring payments does everything that i'm talking about does your automatic refunds all that stuff i'm like we have the pieces we have spec'd it out i've got the server side but so i it's it, it is a bit
0: uncomfortable rusty i'm so sorry you you son of like a bitch you, you told me that this was a fait complete. this was a done deal when you gave me the tattoo you gave me your, <laughs> you
1: know there, there was a website did you, did, that I mean, uh,
0: implemented it the fuck man come on that was me in sales
1: mode man what can i say yeah this tattoo is permanent (laughs)
0: this tattoo is permanent
1: oh shit i thought it was one of those oh yeah look
0: the fact that on bolt12.org it says explicitly do not get a tattoo of a bolt12 offer no qr code (laughs) the fact that you were willing to give me the tattoo i took to mean this is a done deal i'm just putting this out there as a safety net to protect myself but i'm offended i'm deeply offended
1: well, wow. you used the word reckless earlier, and I was like, well, hey, you want reckless,
0: man. Yeah, just below the Bolt 12 tattoo, which you can see in the picture, you did also tattoo hashtag reckless. So maybe this is more on me than on you, but also fuck it.
2: Rusty, quickly, I did see that underscore D11N underscore. They added Bolt 12 for the donation mechanism on com. Yeah, think, Dennis. Uh, Shores, yeah. So... Go ahead, man. Someone's using it in the wild. Not quite up to what's on Bolt12.org, but it's out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, Apollo Feed also has an offer mechanism, so you can feed the chickens to an offer. <laughs> These are important details.
0: Yeah, I mean, not returnly. So
3: I've been working with Dennis Ryman on BitcoinDevilist.com.
0: Did you say Dennis Ryman?
3: Reinman. But it's really the holy grail when it comes to donations. It's what we've been waiting for, or at least it's what I've been waiting for a long time. Because... You're able to just have this, we can just serve up a fixed QR code or a fixed line of text. You don't need to have a BTC pay server running on some server somewhere 24-7 connected to ClearNet. Probably most of the time when you have to run a server, you got a KYC with who's ever hosting your server as well. So instead, we can just host just a single QR code, a single line of text. And the devs on the other side get reoccurring payments as well. A lot of devs, myself personally, I've been supporting a lot of Bitcoin developers through GitHub sponsors, and that's fully KYC and goes through the legacy finance system. But the reason I do it is because I can just set it and forget it. So I can give them Bitcoin donations on the side, but I'll always forget. I won't do it every month. And offers just is absolutely magical in, in that specific use case, the donation use case.
0: Did you just admit yeah. to being a fucking spook?
3: I'm going to convert that fiat into Bitcoin anyway. Now I make the devs do it. But I will be switching all of that over to offers once we get more support in the dev community to actually posting their invoices yeah. for that. Yeah, I, I mean, re- the
1: static stuff is, is huge too, because it does mean that your giant Bitcoin mural that has a QR code in the corner, that QR code will work for as long as you've got that lightning node still alive somewhere.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's huge.
2: Hey, let's yeah, let's talk to Renee. I yeah, want to hear about rendezvous yeah.
5: trampoline. Hey, There's a proposal. Get Super in stoked. here. So, I don't know if I have much to say about rendezvous routing and trampoline routing. I think that's much more Rusty's side.
0: <laughs> no, I want to hear whatever you have to say, Renee. You, you and I have been chatting back and forth for a while, or at least more recently. Let's say in the last two to three weeks. But any comments you have. I would be very curious to hear
5: with respect to offers i strongly support the approach of offers i think it's very much needed in lightning network and i just also think it's a little bit of a pity that so many wallets have not tried implementing it because i think in c lightning it's i wouldn't say stable but it's pretty much there you can play around with it and try to implement again i have recently had developers reaching out to me and asking me hey they want to contribute to the lightning network what could they do And it turned out that they were more like full-stack developers or web developers. And I was like, hey, try to create some web API for offers. And I'm not sure if they're really making progress on this, but I have exchanged a few messages with them back and forth. So I think that's a very good approach. And I agree with what Matt Odell says, that we desperately need this for recurring payments and donations. And the fact that it's Lightning native, I think, makes so much sense. Yeah. We
1: should talk about the stuff that didn't make it in the spec.
0: Yes. What got excluded
1: yeah one thing that i wanted was uh shopping list functionality right where you scan all these offers in your supermarket where you are like each one has a little on it, and you scan them all and then you just submit once and you get an invoice that has all of the things tallied up the whole shopping cart experience in your wallet rather than doing like this kind of one at a time thing which is works but it's clunky so because I, I, I guess I have this vision of the Lightning Wallet becomes your agent, agent in the, that manages all this stuff. Same with things like shipping address and stuff. You scan something. You no longer really need like a web store. You just need a QR code. I scan it. It says, you wanted this for whatever. They need your shipping address. Your wallet says, which shipping address you're going to give them? You go, cool. Click on that one. And it, it's done. You don't actually need a web page as a vendor at all. You could do everything through your Lightning Wallet. I, I think there's this when I talk about extensibility, right? This is the kind of stuff that I can see coming down the pipe. And the problem is I know my imagination is limited. I know that somebody will come up with some cool usage that I didn't think of that will go, cool, everyone should doubt that too. But yeah, I, I really do like these ideas. And these, these haven't made it into the spec. We have got some primitive stuff for you scan something and then they go, oh, you get a bulk discount and stuff. And so there's some support for basically modifying the description when they send it back and modifying the amount so that your wallet can be intelligent about saying, hey, they said plus shipping or they said plus tax or they said 10% discount for bulk or whatever. And it can present to you like why the number has changed and it's not what you expect. But we could definitely get more sophisticated with that. And I think heading towards this kind of more of a full stack experience where your wallet does all this stuff for you is definitely the way that I think we're going to end up going on the Lightning Network, do everything over the Lightning Network.
0: What do you think is currently being done on the Lightning Network? And I, I say this to the the group here, Renee, Russell, Odell, Victor. What is currently happening in the Lightning Network that you view as an anti-pattern? What current things are happening in the Lightning Network that you view as an anti-pattern, a thing that should be... Discouraged, or so
2: uh, I'm really intrigued by like the pre-image usage. How Rusty's really passionate about proof of the payment, but also how that will change over time with PTLC stuff
0: like that. Like
2: how this all <laughs> ties together.
0: PTLCs being point time lock contracts, correct?
1: Yeah. So Andy Carr, so point times are basically anything that denial services the network, and that's the HTLCs are an anti-pattern, right? We should be going to PTLCs, we're gonna get there, right? And that that's definitely happening. That correlation along the route, the fact that everyone sees the same secret pass-through means it's a lot easier for them to analyze.
0: Russell, can you just describe the difference between the existing implementation and uh, point-time-like contracts?
1: So I said before that an invoice is basically a, hey, send me some money and I'll give you the secret kind of deal, so what happens is the request to go cool, I want the secret that matches this, goes one way through the network, and then on the way back comes back the secret. But that secret is the same at every hop. So it might go through five hops, but everyone sees the same like request matching the same secret coming back. So if if you can see two of those hops, for sure that it's definitely the same payment. So that allows you to do kind of traffic analysis and things. PTLC is a very similar trick. Like here, give me this secret in return for, you know, give me the secret that matches this thing. But unlike HTLCs, PTLCs can be tweaked. So I can actually go, ha, huh, well, will tell you what, I'm going to add this random number in here and ask for kind of a different secret. But when you give me that secret, I'll be able to move it back to the secret that I need. And that just introduces noise in the whole thing. So as it goes through the network, the secret that you're asking for looks completely different. But each node actually knows how to map it out to the secret it wants. So this is a trick you can't do with HTLCs, but you can do with PTLCs. So it just means that you've no longer left this huge trace on the network of your payment going through. Now, they can still correlate, hey, these things came in really close to each other and the amounts are similar, so maybe that is still the same payment, but it's not as trivially easy as it is today. It's an internal thing that no one will see any difference with, but as the network upgrades, grades that will. Other problem with PTLCs is that it needs to be supported by everything on the path. There will be a push for everyone to upgrade when these things come out because you can't really use it unless everyone between you and the person you're paying supports it. There will be a push for everyone to upgrade. But in practice, we see everyone on the network pretty much upgrades within six months anyway. So it won't actually take that long for us to just flip the switch and turn it on. Kind of thanks.
5: I have to say, though, that PTLCs still suffer the same problem that HTLCs currently suffer. To a first degree, they're not cancelable. And I think that's one of the larger problems in Lightning Networks. So whenever you make a payment, you send out an onion, and from that moment on, it's beyond your control. So if a node on the path is just deferring into the future or is not settling it quickly, it becomes a, something that we call a stuck HTLC. And, and that's pretty tricky to handle right now because in the worst case, a lot of our payment, especially in the multi-part payment case, it's just hanging. I think with PTLCs, we can do some tricks so that we can make them cancelable. But still, while we can cancel them, the liquidity is bound. I think those are some issues on a lower level on the Lightning Network Protocol that are tricky and hinder user experience to some degree. I think they're not very visible right now because we're still doing fairly small payments and most people who are using Lightning Network right now are just enthusiasts. But I'm not sure how this is going to turn out in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, particularly if we talk about malicious actors. Uh, at the moment, we're all friends, but network of friends doesn't scale.
5: I'm not actually sure if everybody is friends. So when we did our experiments with the payment flows, we actually saw some hanging payments. The method worked quite well, but eventually one or two nodes were just hanging HTLCs. And of course, we couldn't identify them directly because it were just onions that didn't come through, but also haven't been returned. And we basically yeah. had to wait one, two, three, four, five minutes. I think the longest case was actually that somebody hanged them for 10 minutes. And of course, it could have been an accident that the node just in the wrong moment went
1: down. We just don't know. Yep. Yeah, reliability is going to be a really interesting question at this scale. If you look at testnet, for example, the liability is really shit because there's no incentive. People throw up testnet nodes. They don't care about the money or anything and they're flaky as hell. Whereas mainnet tends to be better. One, software is getting more reliable. But two, people care, <laughs> it, right? People actually going, oh, I'm using this every day, so I care about keeping it live. My node falls over more often than I'm prepared to... Admit to because I don't (laughs) check. That's what it's for.
0: So, one of the things Xenon found on Telegram is actually we're building out a Plebnet playground that is on Signet in order to allow both developers to test out and get feedback on their specific implementations or the specific things that they're building. I'm super excited about that, though.
1: I think yeah, Signet is is a resource that I'd like to have more people playing with. We have Signet support, but to be honest, I've I've got a Signet node, but I've not done anything interesting with it at all. So I should jump on.
0: Yeah. We'll hey, see, hey, Rusty. When tuned.
2: when Blockstream had an intern,
1: I remember you did like a one million channels thing with him. Was that on Regtest? Yeah. Yeah. So we faked up a million channels, reg test. So yeah, this was the million channels project. We tried to go, oh, what's lightning going to look like if we scale it up, right? So take some properties of the network and make some assumptions and go, cool, let's make a, a network that looks like it's got a million channels on it. And yeah, it was great. It found some issues that we had, some scalability problems, because there was just stuff like that fell over at that scale that we had to go and fix, ideally, so we can forget about that for a while. One of the problems is actually, we didn't realize that reg test, the issuance schedule is like really truncated. I think you... You have a halvening every few thousand blocks or something. So you can't actually get enough bitcoins in a reg test node to scale up the network, right? You don't get 21 million bitcoins. Uh, You get a lot less because it tapers off really fast. So we have to actually scale the numbers, the bitcoin numbers, down by, I think, a factor of 10 to make it work. But, yeah, that data is still out there. So you can still simulate the network.
0: Signet that, if we can get enough people on it, it solves this problem, correct?
1: Yeah, Signet is great for that. One thing is, oh man, I should have dragged Kristen in here. So I would like to Correct. see some of the Greenlight stuff on Signet oh, because man. that means you need to spin up a node. We could have a Signet version and that you could just like to throw lots of nodes at it and play with it that way as well, which is nice.
0: Oh, man, I'm so excited. I've been bugging Vivek. Get me access to Greenlight. I want it right now. And uh, Michael, too, I think is in here, has been building out on mainnet. He's at Zebedee here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's at Zebedee. Like he's been building out on Mainnet some really interesting AWS hosted lightning node stuff. I don't want to say an enterprise level, but at a business level. And I'm super excited to see to that get built out more. And I think Signet in terms of like testing the stuff that you're talking about, creating more space for lightning developers to be able to build shit and then basically test it out with this large group of nodes that are are actively Interested in contributing to the development of the Lightning Network, I think is super important.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if this derails the conversation a little bit, but first off, I like the term "building shit." Very, it's, very attractive term. Since we have Renee in here, I know Renee has been pushing for his zero base fee idea, and I've been diving into it. I'm curious. I guess we could start with Renee telling us why we should care, but I'm really curious since we've Steve's opinion of that initiative. Yes. Oh. Actually, I wanted
1: to ask Renee a math question first. So, Renee, if you had a fixed base fee but a zero proportional fee, would that have the same effect on the equations? You mean fee rate, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think it
5: does. The main problem really is the situation that when you don't use a channel, you don't pay a fee at all, right? But as soon as you have a fixed base fee and you put something on the channel, the function is just jumping to this base fee. Right. So as soon right. as you just flow one Satoshi, you have this stupid jump, and this just breaks all the math and makes the function non-linear, and, and stuff is just like ridiculously bad. Yeah, So for that reason, the base fee makes the entire problem of optimizing for cheap fees, which usually wallets want to do when they want to make a payment, an NP-complete problem, or NP-hard. Sorry, I'm not the computer scientist here with all those terms, but I just know it's
1: way too complex. to. That's fine. I just wonder if the other way, which is naive and you probably wouldn't want to do. But that's a good point. The zero, zero to one jump is still going to be
5: The zero to one jump is basically the main issue here. Yeah.
0: Do you consider the zero base fee movement, which you have initiated and started and is, is really kind of taking off like wildflower, wildfire, rather? do you consider that to be a signaling thing or do you consider that to be something that immediately has valuable... Uh,
5: yeah. So first of all, I haven't started this, actually. I have certainly facilitated it and helped the people who started it. But what happened is we went to a German podcast, which was hosted by uh, Stefan Richter, also who is a co-author of the paper, And we basically decided this is the first place where we talk about our findings about optimal payment flows. And we talked about all those findings and about the fact that the base fee is basically breaking optimal routing. And there was a German guy who was basically after the podcast, like, here's a screenshot, hashtag zero base fee. I just set all my channels to zero base fee. And Stefan and I basically looked at us and were like, yeah, we're writing the paper. We're afraid that the B cachers would come and basically say something like, look, we always knew it. Lightning is NP hard. I don't know if they really knew it, but they claimed it and never gave a proper reason. So we were more afraid of that side, right? So that we would actually get a huge, basically, shitstorm. But the people in the German community just started to set zero base fee on their nodes. And what I did then is basically I put up the website and basically said, look, here's how many nodes already have done this. And I basically tried to answer questions to this and and
1: address the issue. So, yeah. I love it from a social perspective, right? Because if enough nodes set zero base fee, then... We can just set the routing algorithm to ignore anything that doesn't have zero base fee and just like well, fuck you. And then that kind of creates this pressure vacuum. To, okay, <laughs> everyone else needs to set zero base fee, otherwise they stop getting used, their nodes stop getting used. So we're still in this discovery phase of what fees should be. We're getting close to the answer of what fees should be if you want to make money, but what fees should be from a general point of view is very untractable. If it makes routing easier, then I say yes. Now, the thing is, of course, this stuff isn't deployed yet. So doing it today, it's a signaling thing rather than an actual useful thing. But it does show there was still a huge hunger on the network. People want to get involved. People want to do stuff. People want to contribute in some way. And this is a pretty easy way for them to do it. So why not? So
3: to pull it back for a second to any listeners that are confused, if you're running a routing node, you have two fees that you get to choose. And you get to choose them dynamically. You can change them whenever you want. And one is the base fee. This is a fee that anyone who through you has to pay this fee no matter what the amount they're sending is. And then the other is this variable fee or fee rate where it's based on how many sats are sent through your node. And this is completely different than how on-chain works. On-chain, if you send a Bitcoin transaction, it doesn't matter how much you've taken up on the chain. So if you send a, all things equal, if you send a $10,000 payment or you send a $5 payment, you're paying the same fee. On Lightning, the majority of the fee is usually that variable fee rate. So the larger payment you send, the higher your fee, which is more intuitive, I think, to the average person, because that's what we do in the traditional finance world. You end up paying a percentage of of whatever your payment is. So I'm curious, coming from more of a user perspective, what was the reasoning to have a base fee in there to begin with? Because to me, the variable fee makes more intuitive sense. And my monkey brain tells me that the base fee is there for some kind of spam prevention for like
1: low fee payments, low amount payments that are very... Yeah. Why does it exist? That's my fault. So there were a number of proposals early on on how we should express fees. And there were some full on, hey, we should have this arbitrary fee fee calculation formula thing you could say i want my fees to scale as a square of the amount and stuff like this and then there, there was actually christian was always like you know what we should just have a flat fee which i love like if everyone had exactly the same fee so many things it's so much simpler and so we ended up just the base plus percentage is seems like the simplest halfway on that spectrum kind of answer because we didn't know I'm not sure we still know what a good fee rate mechanism is. Like logically you're doing some work. So you want to get paid and there's, you've got an HTLC capacity limit. You're using up one of my HTLC slots. So maybe the opportunity cost, you should be paying for that. However much you're putting through. What's interesting is that there's actually a spec proposal to not count dust HTLCs towards that, which takes it back to, well, then maybe it doesn't really cost you anything to route these tiny ones. And Interestingly feeds back to this idea of the best stupid idea and we should just do proportional. These two trends are coming together.
0: Just to jump back for a second, I think it's useful to reiterate the distinction between for people that are interested in being able to send extremely low fee, essentially zero fee transactions, instantaneously over the lighting network, like you do not have to know any of the stuff we're talking about. You can basically download right now a wallet like Breeze Wallet or Moon Wallet, that's U -U and be sending payments where you have full custody or essentially full custody of that Bitcoin right now today. The stuff we're talking about is deeply technical and more focused on people who are interested in being merchants on the network. And then the further extreme, which is those of us... (laughs) Like myself and and Vivek and everybody on the stage, running routing nodes, which are nodes that basically are constantly routing payments. Because on a Lightning network, you do not have to have direct connection to the person that you want to receive payments from or send payments to. You actually are able to bounce payments or route them through all the nodes in the network as required in order to send a payment. So I just want to be clear that the stuff we're talking about here is Extremely exciting. It's very important, but you do not need to dive this deep into this technology in order to be able to participate in and benefit from the lighting network as it exists today. You don't, you don't care about Rusty this.
2: <laughs> if Rusty and Renee succeed with this, then you'll never have to learn it. That's Maybe,
0: mis-
1: Sorry, Rusty, you go first. No, I've said my piece. I was just agreeing with everything he said. So, Renee, yours. Okay, I think I didn't answer a piece question
5: in the beginning, and I want to add one thing with respect to the fees that you said, Rusty. With respect to zero base fee, I certainly see this kind of a signaling right now. I think it's great to see the support and that people, even large exchanges like Bitfinex and okay Exchange, have set their base fees to zero, and I think that's a good signal to wallet providers and implementations to basically go out and say, hey, look, let's switch to these kind of like more optimal payment flows and play around and experiment around with them. Because, of course, the more nodes on the network support this, the easier it is to find liquidity on those paths. The other thing is with respect to what Rusty said is like people haven't figured out where the fees are going to be and what good fees are going to be. One thing from our findings, actually, is that the larger a channel is, the more attractive it is for routing, because obviously there's just probabilistically a higher chance that there's liquidity in this channel, right? So what might eventually happen is that larger channels will attract more traffic and you have more reliability on them, right? So when they actually start to hit the HTLC limits, they could actually start setting higher fees. So what I expect will happen is... That currently, where we have this basically fee-based pathfinding, everybody who wants to be a routing node is basically incentivized to dump everybody else with the fees. Whereas when we actually pay for reliability, for good service level agreements, and for liquidity to be at the right spots, I think there's actually going to be a price for that. Uh, Stefan and I are very convinced, so to speak, that a proper fee market will actually emerge on the Lightning Network with respect to fee rates and these probabilistic payment flow approaches. There was one other point I wanted to make. Yes, uh, the question about are these base fees spam preventions on HTLCs? I think that they are not, because currently you can just send out fake payment hashes and you can delay them and you can basically for free set up an HTLC and gem or stuff another channel. And you don't need a base fee to protect yourself against this. So from that perspective, I don't think that the base fee, yeah, any protective mechanism with respect to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because you only pay on success. So this is a very good point. Yeah. You only pay on success. And then, of course, you get reimbursed, but you would also get reimbursed with the fee rate. Two things.
3: First of all, as a routing node operator of multiple nodes, I guess one thing that I would like to see for the proper fee market to develop is some kind of tools that could show me what other people are paying in fees. I just pick random numbers that look cool. I think my nodes are all like 42 based because I like that number. And then the other thing is you mentioned, I guess, reliability, or I think that's tangential to this idea of reputation. How do you really <coughs> see that playing out? And right now we have the L&D team, Alex Bosworth has his Bos score, the BOS score, balance of Satoshis. It seems to really reward the clearnet nodes. So one of the trouble I have is, P was talking about this plebnet initiative. The plebnet initiative is this idea that people are running nodes in their homes, and they're using tor only and it seems to really disfavor those types of nodes do you see that as an issue like how do you see the
5: reputation the reliability scores playing out oh this is really good so i have two thoughts on this the first is when I talked about reliability, I was mainly talking about liquidity, if liquidity is there or not. Of course, you can have different measures for reliability. Is the node online? Is the node acting properly? These kinds of things, right? Do they manage their channels, their rebalance, which basically boils down to reliability. So from our perspective, I think if the pathfinding or flowfinding algorithms are open source and are being used, everybody knows what to optimize for and every routing node knows how to basically game this algorithm to their advantage, which is good because that provides a service to the network. I have been in the past frequently pointing out that the OS score is closed source and proprietary. I don't know and understand how it's being scored. So I cannot really comment to that, but I think this is a huge problem, especially because people are trying to pick it up and trying to game this. That being said, of course, there is the chance that nodes eventually will learn some provenance scores of nodes. But I personally think it's completely unclear how those provenance cores should look like. And if we have some at some point in time, we should also make them open source so everybody knows on which playing field they are. So this is what I think about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so reputation inherently is centralizing, and that's always a danger in the network. Because if, if everyone goes, these three nodes are trustworthy, then everyone's going to route through them, which basically just centralizes the network again. But this, to Renee's other point, not only is a, a centralized scoring kind of pretty primitive and probably not a greatest idea, it's also not actually what, what, you, what you want is what are the best nodes for you, which is a very relative view, depending on... Things that only, you know, what echoing capacity do I have right now? Okay, I've got more going this way. So I really care about those nodes more than the other ones. So I think we're going to evolve into this a system where each node decides for itself how to evaluate the rest of the network. When you have all the information. The only thing that you don't generally have if you're a new node is reliability information in, a sense. So in terms of uptime, right? How reliable are these nodes? And I think that requires some degree of trust. For that, you're going to need some oracles out there telling you hey, I've been probing the network for like months now and this is up 99.99% of the time. So that's probably a higher quality score than something else. But I, I agree with Renee. I think I would like to see that a number of nodes gathering that information and publishing it from different points in the network. So you can kind of correlate. And the idea eventually would be your new node comes on, you're cool, you want to establish a channel, you're trying to, your node's trying to automatically figure out where's a good place to do it. And it should be gathering that data in and making the decision locally, rather than relying on some external scoring mechanism to tell it what's good and what's bad. Um, yeah. That's particularly important, of course, because with dual funding and the open liquidity market that's coming in, that's it's in drafted in the spec and is implemented in the latest C Lightning release, which is pending any day now, I want to say, depending on when Lisa. the final trigger on the release that's really important because you've now got this open marketplace where nodes can advertise and say hey i will help fund a channel for you and here's my rates you need some assessment tool to be able to go cold yeah but are you worth opening a channel with or not so i think that it's early days but i think we will see that emerge as people need to evaluate these different offers out there
0: yeah one of the things that's been really awesome to see is the tools that are being built out for routing node runners there's lnrouter.app and there is LN node insight and there's these tools that in Plebnet there's someone named Gridflare that has been building out which basically do a graph analysis and determine like how your centrality will be affected by either opening channels or closing channels and those types of tools are so valuable for people that are just getting their feet wet and understanding exactly what it means to run a successful routing node both in the sense that they are ideally breaking even and also, more importantly, that they're supporting the larger Lightning Network. I think we're in this kind of magical time, honestly, where these just really powerful tools are being built out.
1: Absolutely. Now, we are 12 minutes over our time, and I have children who are waking up, I can see. So I'm going to have to make my leave. But you know, it's unfortunate because I think it's everyone's... I'm really loving this discussion, so I'm a little bit disappointed to have to to bail on you all. Was there anything that we should talk about before I
0: go. Honestly, this conversation has been amazing. I really appreciate you jumping in. Huge thanks to Vivek who connected us and helped make this happen. And I hope that in the near future, we can run some more of these rooms with The Magazine and talk about this more.
3: I just wanted to thank you personally, Rusty. Thank
1: you for your time and thank you for all the work you do. Oh, look, this has been one of the most exciting projects I've worked on ever. And I was involved in the early days of Linux when it was all crazy and wild days. And this is very much that same kind of vibe, right? People are in this community are, are both incredibly friendly and really helpful and excited, excited about this thing that's coming into its own. And it is it is really nice to connect with other people who see the same thing. One of my fears early on when we developed this was like, we could build the technology. What if people don't get it? What if it never takes off? And it's pretty damn rewarding to see people jump on and do amazing things with it. Thank you all for, for being on the journey with
0: us. Absolutely, man. I'm going to be running these rooms every Monday. And uh, honestly, if one p m is the time when you can join, we will shift these rooms to one p m Pacific and uh, make it happen because you're in the mirror world right now, which is to say Australia. Am I correct there?
1: Yeah, yeah. so this started at five thirty a m for me. The bad news is that it actually clashes with the lightning spec meeting, which I bowed out of. So normally, I probably would not do that. I thought this would be fun. So I did from that.
0: Thank you for your sacrifice, sir. And uh, yeah, let's talk more because I would love to make sure that this space is something that you can join on an ongoing basis if you choose to.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. Thank you. Thanks, Rusty.
0: Take care of your children. Feed them lightning. I will judge, despite the fact that Rusty has contributed more to the Lightning Network than I think it's fair to say almost anyone else. I will judge him harshly if his children are not (laughs) lighting-pilled.
2: Do you ever think about that? How core dev children will feel? Like, that's pretty big shoes to fill.
0: (laughs) Oh, they will never measure up.
4: Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin, and the energy was absolutely electric. Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year, we are learning. We are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we are going to be throwing a massive four-day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin and the greatest businesses in Bitcoin. And lastly, the culture of Bitcoin all together. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival, day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. And it's going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners. And just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in. And to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world... A world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference, learn more about the Bitcoin conference, learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the Whale Pass. So if you want the VIP Pass, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of stats. So Go and do it right now today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't miss event. Bitcoiners, let's take a break from the content. And I want to tell you about Coolbix. Coolbix is an awesome Bitcoin hardware wallet that has been around for a really long time. They are building an amazing Bitcoin wallet called the Cool Wallet Pro. The Cool Wallet Pro is state of the art. Bitcoin hardware wallet technology. Its form factor is like a credit card. You can put it into your wallet and it is designed to go with you on the go. So that way, even when you're on the go, you can have the benefit of a two-factor hardware wallet design when you're trying to spend your Bitcoin so you can have your Bitcoin wallet UX on your phone and make it really easy to scan decide what you want to do but then you sign with a cool bit X which is in your back pocket it is tamper proof it is waterproof it is flexible it has an awesome secure element in it. And it is a really awesome way in order to have some more flexibility, yet security when you're taking your Bitcoin on the go. I personally am a fan of this idea of making Bitcoin into a medium of exchange and making it into something that people use. I know it's going to take time, but they are working on the UX for making that possible in a secure way possible. So have some peace of mind. Check out the Cool Wallet Pro from Cool Bix. And Thank you to them for sponsoring this podcast.
3: Renee. while we have you here, so I just, I switched my main routing node over to zero base fee. What should I make my variable fee? I honestly
5: cannot tell you. (laughs) I I, I think this is something that has to be figured out. I think it's easier to compute this eventually when you see everybody using the variable fee because you can basically compute your centrality against that fee again. I would assume that your variable fee should eventually depend on the channel size because you are going to expect, not right now, (laughs) but in the future, more traffic across larger channels than you would expect across smaller channels. But since there are HTLC limits anyway, I would assume that there is a certain trade-off. Also, when you look at our probabilistic models, we have this formula with the logarithm of all that stuff. But if you do a Taylor series, basically the linear term of the Taylor series is 1 over channel capacity, which means that the cost function for routing will basically, on a linear approximation, be something like one over channel capacity plus fee rate. So you can solve this equation and you can basically see there is going to be some trade-off between these two terms. So I would assume that the fee rate will be something similar to the inverse channel capacity. But of course, there are constants involved and you have to see how other people are setting their fees. And I think the game theory is not clear on this yet. You? I also,
3: I have 250 channels on this thing. I'm not going to pick them individually. I just set the fee across the board usually. Jesus. So I'm curious on another kind of topic here. I've heard Lightning developers say that you should only have channel partners with people you trust. This routing node in particular is a pretty public routing node. Anyone can open a channel to me if it's above the minimal channel size. Do you have any thoughts here in terms of the amount of trust you should have in your channel partners and how people should go about the minimal channel size. And I just, I felt like a million sats was, I didn't want channels smaller than that, but I didn't want to be a dick. So I just switched it to 500,000 sats, but that's just completely arbitrary. I don't really know what to
0: set that at. My main channel size is 5 million sats. Yeah, so so you're not a man of the people. You are correct, sir. You are correct, sir. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't have the time to manage all those channels. I feel like if someone opens a channel to me, if I open a channel to somebody else, it's my deep responsibility to maintain that channel balance, at least a million sats on each side. Bernay, what are your thoughts?
5: One thing that I wanted to mention while Rusty was still there, when he also talked about fees, was I think there's two problems that are basically dual to each other. One problem is the path finding and liquidity finding problem. And that's basically how traffic flows on the Lightning Network, right? So you have certain payment pairs and they want to interact by sending an amount of a few Satoshis from one person or one node to another node. And that's pretty independent of how the network looks like, right? If I want to shop at a certain... Store. I want to shop at a certain store, right? And then I choose the technology and hope the technology will support this for me. The dual problem is what do the people do who provide the infrastructure on this? So the people who provide the liquidity, the people who set up the channels, right? So there are phenomenons when you look at planning of streets and roads where you have situations where you have a lot of traffic between two points and you have a lot of streets that are jammed. And you try to create a new street in order to reduce the traffic load, and have less jams. But what can happen is it's the brass paradoxon that the new street might be a highway that is high speed, and everybody is going to that highway and you actually have more jam and people are actually slower going to this new place. And these are things that have been observed in the real world. It's not just some theoretical, Phenomenon. And I think these questions will emerge on the Lightning Network. We're just very early right now, so we don't have them. So, Matt, what I can tell you is I don't know what channel sizes are proper. I don't know which fees are proper. I think this is a topic for active research. I think people should put more time into this. I'm not convinced that you have to rebalance all your channels all the time in a certain way. Like, for example, many people think it has to be 50 50 or something. Of course, intuitively speaking, This seems good because you can route traffic in two directions. But maybe what you observe is that some of your channels always go in one certain direction. So why would you rebalance it to 50-50 if you always need the liquidity on one side? So all of these questions are basically the perspective of the construction people, of the street planners. And I think we're going to figure these things out over the time. With respect to trust that you asked before, I think it actually involves quite a bit of trust to open a lightning channel with somebody because weird stuff can happen. And what I personally decided to do is I don't open channels with other people because I'm going to pay the fees on them. And if people are stuffing me with HTLCs and they're doing blackmailing attacks, as I have described uh, on the mailing list before, I don't want to run in this situation. So basically what I did is I put my lightning node in the wild and said, hey, this is for my experiments. I'm a researcher. (laughs) Let's see how it evolves. Yeah, that's all I can say about that.
2: I see an OG routing Mm -hmm. node operator in the audience by the name of Justin
0: Camarena. See if you can bring him up. (laughs) Oh, shit. Justin, please request to speak so that I can find you. I'm I'm having to manage three devices and it's a minute. Also, Lisa, (laughs) how dare she? You are in the audience and you are refusing to join us on the stage as a Halo member. Please accept this, this olive branch.
2: Justin's usually low key, so I can't promise he'll want to come up, but Dude is brilliant.
0: Well, I'm offended. If he doesn't come up, I feel personally attacked. I feel like it's a, a slight against my people and the lighting Network, which is much more important. Renee, can you go into, are there any disadvantages? That was a joke, by the way, in <laughs> case you weren't sure. Renee, can you go into any, are there any disadvantages or things that people should be aware of if they are setting zero base fees?
5: The only thing that I have seen that I would agree with is that it could enable you to have basically forwarding htlcs where you don't earn a fee at all but you can mitigate this very easily by just setting the min htlc size and if you think about it you know setting up an htlc just is something that costs you something by the end of the day i agree with the people who said this actually but it's just in general it's free from the perspective that you only get paid if the routing is successful but if you for example set up an htlc of size 10 it's not an actual output. It's completely based on trust. If your channel hits the chain and a force close, this HTLC is not enforceable because it's far below the dust output, and it's just going to be added to the general transaction fees of your transaction. Oh. So, in general, hmm, sorry,
0: no, no sorry, I, I just was I was saying, wow, that's I hadn't thought about it that way.
5: Yeah. So what I'm saying is, the people who have been basically discussing these kinds of like issues, I think they tended to forget that in general, you might not want to have too small HTLCs anyway. Everything that is below 600 satoshis or 583, whatever the number is, a dust output anyway. Hmm. And even if you have a thousand satoshis for an HTLC, you're never going to basically settle this on chain because Hmm. you have to spend it again in order to collect it. So it's a dust output anyway. So as soon as you have reasonable
0: size HTLCs, I think the fee rate is is sufficient. Got it. Okay. So it sounds like the specific recommendation, is it as simple as setting zero base fee or is it you should set zero base fee and then set the min HTLC size as well?
5: I don't want to jump into the min HTLC size discussion because that's a discussion that people should have had already for some time, independent of what our algorithm suggests, independent of our findings. The only thing that I can say is if we as a community don't go for zero base fee... Pathfinding and liquidity finding is just going to be a very complex optimization problem and we all can do ourselves a favor by just supporting zero base fee. So yeah, I have seen people actually going out and asking questions of, hey, why don't nodes already start like implementing this as like a default and starting to deprecate base fee settings out. I think it's much better if it comes from the users and if everybody understands what we're doing. From that perspective, I'm actually, as I said before, I didn't start this movement. I just presented the scientific facts and said, hey, look, this is something that was there. And before we presented this paper, we actually asked on Bitcoin Stack Exchange and said, hey, why was there the base fee? And Rusty, who is now not here anymore, he actually answered the question in the same way how he answered it on the Twitter space by saying, Yeah, we basically just put it there. There, there was no <laughs> specific reason. If we are in the early phase of the protocol and we have some choice that was completely arbitrary but now turns out to be very painful, in, in my simple mind, it's, it's very reasonable to just. I
2: really liked how you explained the whole spam FUD stuff. Yeah. That's commonly what I hear as well raise the base fee high enough so. You won't be spam, but just like how you guys were saying, still regardless, there's like the fake payments and probing going on. If I could just jump in here real quick, the min HTLC size, I'm like pretty
3: involved in the space. I didn't even realize that was a settleable option. I'm curious. A lot of the lightning propaganda, if you will, is focused around microtransactions. I already understood the premise that these small transactions, they can't be settled on chain. So there's some level of trust there with the small transactions. Do you think that we should be, as a community, expecting that small microtransactions will get priced out of the Lightning Network and it's not something we really should be advertising to people?
5: Honestly, I don't know. I think what happened is in the beginning, people wanted to have the Lightning Network because it seemed as the like way to scale Bitcoin. But then, of course, we had all those reliability problems with larger payments and we didn't know how to properly do them. And small payments obviously work much better because there's just a really high likelihood that they just don't fail, that they're successful. So I think it turned into this phase of people are like, oh, this is awesome for micropayments and so on and so forth. And maybe it's fine. Rusty said before, basically, if the payment is too small, you don't actually need HTLC space in your transaction. And if you're running a lightning node, it's a little bit of communications overhead. You could just fulfill them because if your channel really goes on chain, you're going to pay so many fees anyway. If you just have a little bit of dust outputs that are now added to the fee budget, maybe it's not an issue. So maybe Lightning can actually do micropayments. By the end of the day, if you think from the perspective of your commitment transaction and you have your liquidity split into two halves, of course I can flip one Satoshi over to my other channel. And of course, this is eventually... Enforceable, Right. So maybe lightning provides an answer for those micro and tiny payments. But what I think is with our findings, lightning is going to be able to support much larger payments. I had one criticism actually from a person who was very involved in the spec. And I won't say name here, but this person said, yeah, but lightning works very well right now for 40 bucks payments. And people like we don't see people do larger payments on the lightning network. And I had to basically smile a little bit and say, if Lightning was only made for 40 bucks payments, we could actually stick with PayPal and all these custodial solutions. (laughs) It's great if Lightning can do 40 bucks payments or 4 cent payments. I'm I'm not arguing against that, but I'm saying if Lightning was just invented to do that kind of stuff and we're doing like five years of development and spec process, maybe that's a little bit of overkill.
0: Renee, you can be honest with us. It was Peter Schiff, wasn't it? (laughs)
5: <laughs> Certainly not I'm um, actually, I was surprised right now that Matt said that he didn't know about the min HTLC size kind of, and uh, I have to basically apologize because two years ago, I basically stopped doing more videos on my YouTube channel where I tried to educate more about details of the Lightning protocol, but it, it was just too much work at some point in time no. to do the research and the education. I do so not- I will try to fix
0: this. <laughs> As Matt's legal representative and lawyer, I refuse to accept your, your apology. I think you should be continuing to do the, the real work while people like me get out there and just try to blast it out and get people, get more awareness.
3: Yeah, don't worry. Now I'm going to dive down the min HDLC size hole and
0: we'll see what comes out the other end. Oh, it's legit. It. Also, you, also uh, I will say, sorry, I was just going to say, I have been experimenting also not only with min HDLC sizes, but also with max HDLC sizes. And maintaining basically 1 million SAT max HTLC sizes on all my channels, because I want to basically minimize the number of failed payments that are routed through me, because I don't want to be put on the, the shit list for individual nodes. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that.
5: No, I don't. By the end of the day, if we do proper pathfinding, people are going to basically select the HTLC sizes through you that are most likely to succeed. And I'm not sure if these kind of like shit lists are are necessary because it's a random process by the end of the day. And it's expected that once in a while payments fail. So for example, one of the experiments that we did is when we tested our algorithm on mainnet, we actually counted how many of the onions that we sent out were successful and failing. And what was the percentage there? And I'm sorry, it's late, I forgot the exact numbers. But what I can say is with our algorithm, the number was just much better of successful onions than all the implementations currently because we're just like searching the stuff that is most likely to succeed. But since we are not actively sharing all the balance with everybody for obvious reasons, scale, scalability and privacy, we are expecting for payments to fail. So I don't think that nodes should actually discount other nodes. And also when you think about your node and routing, even if you support a larger payment on a channel and it fails downstream, you actually would, I think, in current scoring systems, get a bump because your channel was still able to forward the HTLC. Oh, uh, the error comes downstream. So from that perspective, I think you can just do whatever you, you think is reasonable for you to do.
0: One thing that I think through runes and macarons, runes, have you considered asking the community to basically share data with you in order to basically increase your data set and allow us to further optimize the lightning network?
5: No, I haven't. I am trying to provide algorithms and solutions that work for everybody on the network of course if you are a large lightning network service provider you will see much more traffic going through your node and you will probably have a pretty good estimate of what the balance values are in other channels because you are just like doing that much traffic and of course you can adapt your routing behavior and of course you can incorporate this into your decision making so if you are like a large exchange that has included lightning and you want to support withdrawals, you probably can. You can still use our algorithms. You can just update your prior probabilities that you believe, like your belief and your uncertainty about the network. You can just update that, right? So from that perspective, of course, if you are a service provider, it makes sense to use the data that you have collected. But I think from a developer perspective, I should provide solutions that just work for everybody and that are just general methods and and solutions.
0: The reason I ask is because you are an incredible innovator on the Lightning Network, and I do not yet know enough about macaroons and runes, which Rusty was talking about earlier, to understand exactly how that might work, but I would certainly be happy to share the routing data that is coming through my node. And again, this is doxing my node, right? This is kind of, in many ways, anathema to the core tenets of the Lightning Network, but I know that there are a lot of people that would be willing to share information in terms of failed HTLCs and things like that, anonymized, of course, into a large database to allow people like you to develop more effective hypotheses and ultimately strategies.
5: Yeah, go on and do this. If you provide a repository and the data is there, I will probably find this and I might make use of this. What I can say is that the method that we suggest in general is the most optimal one. Hmm. But of course, as I just said, you can have better priors, right? So so the method stays the same, just the data is being exchanged. But of course, the data is dynamic, right? So at some point in time, your data is going to be outdated and not useful anymore, which does not mean that it's not useful for simulations and experiments and sandbox testing. If if you and the PlatNet crew are able to gather and collect data sets, there are websites like kegel.com, where you can actually even put out challenges and say, hey, all those people who do data science, please, this is our problem. This is our data set. How would you provide a solution? These options are there and, and I would not advise against that, but yeah.
0: I think what you're saying is the data that I can provide is shit. Is that fair? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I, I only say that because I think that as is 100%. I think it's very important to maintain the cypherpunk ethos. And I certainly put a lot of effort into maintaining anonymity, obviously to a much less extent given PlebNet, but I think that there's a lot of really interesting data that can be collected, or maybe not, maybe I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but it feels like there is useful and interesting data that can be collected by node operators who are willing, and again, at their own choice, to sacrifice their anonymity or ideally to be able to provide that data in a fully anonymous way that may help the development of some of these algorithms. But I'm still unclear if that's actually valuable. It sounds like what you're saying is Uh, like like the algorithms are built out even in the absence of that information. It's not something that would be like game-changing.
5: Yeah, maybe I misspoke a little bit. So what I'm saying is in Lightning Network, we have this built-in uncertainty and algorithms should be able to incorporate this uncertainty and be able to handle this. So of course, if you feed an algorithm with data, you can make the algorithm a little bit better and you can basically learn on the data. But what I also try to imply is the data is going to be changing, right? So if you give me your log files, the main thing that I will see is on which channels did you get traffic in and on which channels did you get traffic out? And then later, could you settle that traffic or was it rejected? These are the main things that I see. But even if the traffic was rejected, I don't know the real reason. Was it because this was a probing attempt or was the payment hash incorrect or was the downstream channel not having enough liquidity? I I just don't know these things at that point in time, especially if you start to anonymize your data. I cannot correlate this with other nodes. That's what I'm saying. So from a perspective of somebody who studies routing, What I'd much rather do is I'd look at the blockchain data and I basically see who is opening channels, who is closing channels, and I see how money flows through the network, right? So you can basically very often see that the bit refill nodes actually have a lot of money flowing through them, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because they are a shop, you can buy stuff there, right? I didn't need to look at the blockchain (laughs) in order to know this. It was like my expectation anyway. (laughs) But of course, from that data, you can actually learn a little bit of how the traffic demand is. Remember before I said there's this dual problem where you have traffic demand from the user's perspective, and then you have basically the people who build the roads and, and try to Build the infrastructure to support the traffic so you can do these kinds of things but of course you can also look at the routing data or you can just put out your notes and look what goes through your nodes and learn from that of course data is useful but i would argue if you find a method and an algorithm that doesn't need the data it's
0: even better oh of course yeah yeah i, I and i'm sorry to harp on this but just one of the things that i and others have been focused on in planet is is like renee or not renee <laughs> that's you there are libraries now that allow you to really effectively track the failed htlcs locally and that's been really valuable for me to be able to get a sense for how for the attempted payments through my node and then how i can optimize things to better support those because lnd at least does not by default support or does not have the facility to track failed payments so i don't know that's all i was thinking about
3: There's a counterpoint here that I just want to throw in real quick. When you're talking about tracking payments on the Lightning Network, you talk about basically active surveillance, active surveillance by routing nodes along the way. For sure. And to me, the beauty of the PlebNet movement is that we have all of these sovereign Bitcoiners running nodes through Tor in their closet that are very unlikely to share those logs with other people. While we also have these massive nodes run by regulated companies but I have a feeling we're going to start seeing them either be compelled to share the data or they will be sharing the data amongst each other to improve their fee scenario. So ideally, to me, I'd like to see the plebs stand up and- Say, fuck you. ...data. I, I think that's a little bit of an existential threat to the Lightning Network in terms of privacy. Yeah. Am I
0: wrong here? I don't disagree at all. I think ideally, and the the kind of direction that I feel like things have been going is actually to- create tools that allow individual node operators who are running these sovereign nodes to basically draw more interesting conclusions about their own efficacy rather than contributing to some centralized database, which will eventually, of course, be hacked and then shared with everybody.
3: I think it was like Nick who originally said he had like a thesis that lightning node operators would voluntarily disclose their information to develop a better fee market. And I was like, no, we can't do that.
0: All right, fuck that, Renee. I want to officially rescind my interest. And if you ever ask me to try to uh, get people to do that, I will. I'll know that you're a spook.
2: I was curious if Renee or anyone knew what's the defaults for the min HTLC, max HTLC, as well as the CLTV. Oh yeah, that's a great question.
5: You have to look them up in every implementation. Everybody has different values. Yeah, Some that's things hard. are recommended in the specs. <laughs> I honestly don't know.
2: <laughs> it, it changed, too. Uh, chain code stuff while you guys were teaching. And I think it caught Christian off guard, because that's when L&D reduced their CLTV. But yeah, I don't know. To 40 from 144, else. right? Yeah, exactly, P. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where things are today, like now.
0: I've been trying. I don't know. Humor to me is so important. It's what keeps me going. So there was a period where I was trying to advocate for people to, instead of using 40 blocks as the CLTV Delta setting, to uh, use 69 blocks as the CLTV Delta. But I decided to, to to move away from that recommendation because funny though it was, it does not help anyone. You should have just said it's half a day. Don't worry about it. My re- The real goal was 69, 420, but it's just not. I need to be a responsible... <sighs> respectable adult in some areas of my life at least
2: does your routing node even have an sla agreement yet please send it via DocuSign sign pdf
0: <laughs> yeah that's right i'm going to need you to sign an nda in order to connect to my node
5: there's one thought i want to share in, in response to the discussion between p and odell about like data sharing of your life i think what you were trying to say and explain at least this is how i understood it p was that you were saying hey I, as a user of some lightning node, need a little bit more insights and a little bit better understanding of what my node is doing. Because if I spin up my node, I might see how much I have on one channel and how much I have on the other channel. But I don't have a good feeling of how much traffic goes in one direction or the other. And I think this is something that needs to be said more frequently to us developers. Because for me, this was not even a feature request initially. Because for me, of course, I have my log file. Of course, I see how much requests I get. Of course, I can write a little script and crunch this log file and like these are naturally the first things I do because, of course, I monitor my software and my node and I understand what's going on there. But that doesn't mean that it could not be part of an implementation or could be part of some like proper tool chain to give you a good feeling of what's going on there, because I would certainly agree that you could probably as a human being with proper monitoring of your own node. Get a good feeling of hey, this is a good channel, or this is not a good channel, or this is a peer. I want to maybe increase my channel size with, or these kinds of
1: things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think it's it is sorely missing, in my opinion. I'm a software engineer, and even for me, I'm like, oh shit! Like, how do I figure this stuff out? I think that there's some really low hanging fruit which people, as I mentioned before, have been working on. But I think that's a huge and extremely important thing to be thinking about as we talk about increasing adoption in the Lightning Network because I personally have been shocked and, and really inspired by the number of people who have zero software engineering experience. Do not consider themselves coders at all or even understand what the terminal is. It's set like buying all the components, building Raspberry Blitz, and then just being like, all right, let's fucking do this. And they're like, so how do I SSH in? Going through all of the various and specific tutorials and then really figuring all this shit out in real time. And so I think that one of the most important things we can do in terms of lightning adoption is creating those types of systems, not even necessarily in a beautiful UX like Thunderhub or Ride the Lightning. I think just building really effective, even command line tools that allow one to really effectively get a sense for one's p and you know, specific su- suggestions around which channels to open, which channels to close, which again, there's someone named Gridflare on Telegram who has become, his tools have become a part of my central workflow. So I think that's a really important area to, to focus on. All right, this has been one of the most rewarding conversations I've had in recent memory. I really appreciate everyone jumping in. I'm so glad, Renee, that you were able to to dive in. And I, I know in the past I've reached out to you and you've been like, I'm so sorry, it's super late here. What time is it exactly right now where you are, Renee?
5: Right now it's almost half past 12. Oh my gosh.
0: Midnight. Oh, God. All right. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being willing to sacrifice your sleep in order to jump in. I have gained an incredible amount by listening to you. I know that Rusty jumped in. It was like 5.30 in the morning because he's in Australia for him. So just want to express a lot of appreciation for everyone that's here and and commenting. I hope we can have more of these conversations in the very near future. We're going to be running lightning-focused Bitcoin magazine rooms, or sorry, spaces every Monday. So I hope you can join more of them.
5: All that being said, just a shout out to the people who are listening. I'm still searching for funding to fund this research work. As some of the people know, I had quite some offers from people to basically not talk about the results, sign some NDAs, and basically give people a heads up in being Lightning service providers and so on and so forth. If you can make introductions, recommendations, or just privately want to sponsor me, feel free to reach out to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's so huge, and I think it, it's really hard to be an individual who has the opportunities that you have been presented with, which is to say people and companies and VCs basically being like, hey, don't share this super dope information that you've discovered with the public, which will benefit everyone and benefit the lighting network, and instead share it just with us so that we can basically extract more value. We can create more alpha and edge to basically take advantage of the lighting network or these learnings that you've had. And I think that's a really tough position to be put in. And I have so much respect for you for saying no to that. And I I just want to support that. Everyone should be supporting Renee and the developers that are building stuff out on the Lightning Network. It is really hard when you're sharing this public information to not succumb to the kind of fiat, the the fiat bullshit, and and to take more money for things that are potentially disadvantageous to the larger network. And I, I just have I have the utmost respect for you, Renee, and I hope that everyone will will hear that and will support you financially and also all the developers who are building stuff out both on Layer 1 technologies and Bitcoin and also on the Lightning Network. You're doing a Yes, so
5: thanks for the nice words. And maybe there's a fun thing that I can say since offers was the original topic of the discussion. And I think offers are a great thing. If you go to my donation website, you will actually find some advertising for offers where I'm saying, look, you can tip me a few sets on Lightning. And as long as offers are not widely spread, Here's still the link to my Patreon page. But uh, obviously, eventually, I would love to just make an offer there and have recurring payments on the Lightning Network, because I think this is really something that we should all aim for, which would be much more natural. So yeah, but <laughs> I just had to basically get back to the offers here. And because I think this is really a great technology, and and I think we need this. And maybe one one last thought about this. People have been like starting this war between LNURL and offers. And I have said this frequently uh, in public, I don't think they are uh, against each other. I think it's just good to have something that is lightning native, but I think we still need some HTTP protocol to transport offers. And I think they go hand in hand very well.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: There's an amazing podcast. They came out recently on the podcast is Lightning Junkies with Fiat Jaff and Rusty, who was here earlier. I would highly recommend everybody check that out. And, and I, I could not agree more. I think they, they go hand in hand. They're not in conflict at all. And we need to be supporting both. Well, they're in conflict. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Tell me more.
3: Currently, I use URL and I'm going to switch to offers.
0: Yeah, but there are things that are available on LNURL that are not intended to be available in Bolt 12 and vice versa. I don't think it's basically the idea that, oh, you either support one or the other. I think that LNURL is extremely resource intensive. There are challenges in running. It's the MVP version of what's being built out on Bolt 12. But my personal belief is that there are things that are implemented in LNURL which will still continue to be valuable within the goal of being backwards compatible. I think that which is it's a, that is a vast oversimplification, but I think that they go hand in hand. I think eventually we will shift more and more to Bolt 12, but I don't see them as being like actively against each other. Are there specific areas that you think of as being where they have to compete for for mindshare? where there's less clear delineation. See, are you there on the Bitcoin Magazine handle? That's right. I have inserted a brain plug into the Bitcoin Magazine Twitter handle. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, my, my phone is crashing. Twitter Spaces is, is quite amazing. What did I miss?
2: They are mildly in conflict from a user's perspective, but from a technology perspective, they go hand in hand.
0: Okay, so we're not having a race war between URL and, and Bolt12. Is that what I'm, what I'm hearing? I
2: think a race war or whatever, like I hear being mentioned, is key send versus offers.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I'm sorry to make you repeat yourself. Is there anything that I said that you were like, "Yo, yeah, OP is out of his fucking mind. <laughs> but I'm back.
3: With Keysend, the issue with Keysend is there's no receipts, right? That's the main issue. Yeah. Like, I, I have some, like, random payments, and I, doubt, I have no idea where they came from.
2: And I, I don't know exactly how it works, Renee. but I think you just straight up give them the pre-image, like, you don't the invoice flow, everything is, like, not there. It's, it doesn't
0: exist. Yeah, I think that's the idea. You basically include the pre image inside the onion. Interesting. All right, my friends, I think I'm going to close this room out. We've gone over time. And yeah, I appreciate everyone jumping in. This has been awesome. Tune in next week. We've got a, a space on Wednesday that's going to be about the recent infrastructure bill. And we've got a bunch of incredible people that are joining that. We've got Amanda C, Joe, Alec, Donna, just Matt's going to be there. So I encourage you all to tune in at uh, 3 p.m. Pacific on Wednesday to talk about the legal and regulatory space that we are all finding ourselves shoved into.
2: I'm not going to attend unless Marty Bent is there and he, he calls out this DSG communism. We'll make sure Marty's there.
3: Uh, we also have a space scheduled for tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, which is... 1700 UTC, which is going to be the first spaces that Aaron Ben Weirdom is hosting it from El Salvador. It's going to be a reoccurring. What's going on in El Salvador spaces?
0: Oh, that's amazing! Everyone
3: should come check that out. That should be a really good
0: conversation. Thank you,
3: Renee, for your time and all the work you do. Yeah, thank you so much,
5: Renee. Thanks, thanks for organizing the space, and of course, everybody, don't forget to set your
0: base fees to zero. Absolutely, Renee, we got to do a space that's specifically devoted to that topic. I, I would love to talk to you more about that, and, and really, we got to come up with a term.
2: Two-hour-long session on have fun by Renee.
0: <laughs> yes, I, honestly, nothing would make me happier. Sure, we can do that at some point in time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Most important thing: don't trust verify the papers out. Uh, if you're a mathematician, you can verify it. <laughs> But if I'm not a mathematician, I'm not as smart as you, Renee. I need you to break it down for me and and, and tell me how it all works.
5: It's funny, though. I have people coming back to me and say, oh, yeah, we support research. How can we make this better? I'm like, it's optimal. (laughs) There's no way of making
0: it better. Of course, you can discuss model decisions, but the algorithm is just optimal. That's the entire point. No, that's the wrong answer, Renee. The answer is pay me. (laughs) Fund this incredibly important research. No, it's so important. I I don't know. It's so important. It's difficult to correct for yourself. So I will do it for you. Yeah. The developers on Bitcoin and and the Lightning Network, a lot of them, like Renee, are sacrificing the opportunity to make vast riches because they care deeply about the protocol and they care deeply about this uh, sound money. So it is up to us to reward that behavior and to support them in the incredible stuff they're doing. On that note, I'm going to close this out. Thanks, everyone.